It's the BBP TV show since 2012, where amazing guests share their digital adventures. Who will we meet today? Small biz influencer? Up-and-coming trendsetter? Accomplished author? You never know who'll be dropping by. And now, here's your host, Elaine Lindsay, the bionic glamourpreneur with Truel Social Media, who's the second most curious person on the planet. Today, I'm very excited to have been able to reschedule our uh, planned show with Ted Rubin. Ted, thank you so much for being with me today. And uh, I have to say, I applaud your perseverance. Uh, We tried every which way you can to do the original show. And I have to admit, it was my issue. It was my fault. I accidentally hit a button on my lovely Yeti mic, and uh, I now know I only move the mic from the very bottom. Well, (laughs) (laughs) absolutely no problem, and happy to be here, and glad we were able to reschedule. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Just so people who are here know, Ted is a leading, and I do mean leading, social marketing strategist. He's a keynote speaker, a brand evangelist. He uh, coined the term, I believe, uh, R on R, which is return on relationships. And this is a concept I know he deeply believes in. Uh, He's done work with everybody from Elf Cosmetics as the chief marketing officer to, I think it's collective bias. Uh, You've done things for John Andrews. Uh, There's so many things that Ted has done. It would take my half hour just to tell you a little bit about that. You can read it on our page, the rest of the information. Let's get to talking to Ted himself. Okay. uh, Absolutely. Thanks, Elaine. I'm really, like I said, I'm really excited to be here. It's a Friday uh, afternoon. The weekend's upon us. Um, This is, I have to tell you that this is kind of one of my weekend days because I'm traveling early Sunday morning. Um, Although I am going to LA and I do get there at one o'clock. So I will have a nice part of the day. So if any of your, um, if any of your audience is in LA, I will be there from Sunday until Friday. Um, if you're a brand marketer, I will be emceeing and hosting the Brand Innovators event at Capitol Records headquarters on Tuesday and Wednesday. And again, if you're a brand marketer for a major brand that doesn't sell to brands, I'll be happy to add you to the guest list or reach out to me anyway if you'd like to attend and maybe we can work something out. It's tedrubin at gmail.com and I will be around and I'm looking forward to meeting with a whole bunch of nice people while I'm in town. And I always love some serendipitous meetings of people that I've never met before. And, and that, in a nutshell, is actually why I wanted Ted on the show. Ted is very open, he's very engaging, and he's happy to network with you at any time, anywhere. Um, I know that just a few weeks ago, you were in Ireland. Um, I was, and I have to tell you, um, if you haven't been to Ireland, if you're listening to this broadcast, go. It was, you know, I speak in a lot of different places and I will tell you that sometimes it's amazing. Sometimes I like it. It's very rare that I say, I can't wait to go back. And and I'm going to tell you why. First of all, the people are everything you'd expect. They're the warmest, nicest, friendliest people. All they want you to do is have a nice time. But also, they're so proud of their country. Every person you meet talks to you about their country and what they're doing about their history. The taxi drivers are like the nicest guys. They're dressed well. They're well-spoken. And every taxi ride is a history lesson. So, you know, I'm excited. And I will give out a little secret here. I am right now very close to securing another speaking gig there. Um, uh, The... 
second week in June. So oh. I might be back there very soon, and I'm real excited about that. Excellent. Well, yeah, shout out to uh, Samantha, Samantha Kelly, who is Tweeting Goddess. Um, so we, yes, at, at Tweeting Goddess. It happened because of her. She yeah. is a force of nature. I like to say she's indomitable. This is a woman who has taken social media and made it her world from a world that where she basically had nothing. She was on the down and outs. She turned it into a business and a relationship builder, and she's done tremendous things in Ireland. And matter of fact, to the point where they just asked her to speak at the event where Gary Vanderchuk was speaking yeah. um, a week or two ago, and I adore her, and I hope the rest of you will follow her because she's rock star. Absolutely, and we're we're going to be having her on the show as well. But let's let's get now diving a little bit to uh, who Ted Rubin is and how you became so passionate about business. One thing I would like you to maybe give people an understanding of: you have a lot of Twitter handles. I do. Are you can asking you, me why? Um, know, give what, us an idea of why, why so many, and do you suggest people do that? Well, no, this is not really a suggestion. I, a lot of people can't handle having a lot of Twitter handles, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, they've got a lot of things going on. You know, my world is social media, so that's one point of it. Another thing is this is a concept I first uh, introduced and developed back in 2009 when I was at Elf Cosmetics. Uh, there, I for, I was probably one of the first ones for a brand to have two Twitter handles. Um, I didn't go beyond that at Elf because I felt it wasn't really appropriate or relevant. But there, I had one Twitter handle that was our main engaging handle about cosmetics, about our brand, about the world, about fun, about about all different things that anything our audience was interested in. And the second one that was called Ask Elf. And the second one was called Eyes, Lips, Face, and that was about makeup. So every day we featured a different makeup product. Now, that's changed since I left, you know, and different social media people came on and agencies and things like that. Now, when I left there, I went to a company called OpenSky. Which was, yeah. one of the, which was one of the first companies looking to do social commerce, looking to help people of influence, bloggers, um, authors, uh, celebrities, everybody um, uh, monetize their personal brands by selling products right from their site. Um, and when I went there, I expanded on this concept of um, building what I call a syndication engine, yeah. which is an ability to put out content and information in many different areas. So at Open Sky, we had all different verticals that we were selling products under travel, uh, um, uh, cosmetics, fashion, uh, fitness. So I opened up a number of different handles. At the time, there were about 10 yeah. under all different verticals. And the concept was to, first of all, cross-pollinate them to a certain degree. Second of all, put out uh, um, specific content relative to those verticals mm -hmm. and allow all of our sellers, all of the bloggers and authors that were selling products there to use those different handles to syndicate their content where and when it was relevant. When I left there, they what they did is they pivoted and they went to just selling celebrity recommendations. Yeah. It was time for me to leave because that was not something that interests me. I moved over to Collector Bias and there I started a division for Collector Bias, which still exists today called CB Socially, which was about syndicating valuable content under different vertical Twitter handles. So by the time I left there, we had about 30 of them. Mm -hmm. And the only two that I, of course, maintain ownership was, was of course, Ted, at Ted Rubin because that's mine. So after I left there as the CMO, of course, that came with me. And the only other one that I took with me was at Parenting, P-A-R-E-N-T-N-G. There's no I there. Where I have now close to 200,000 followers. I have a mom blogger named Lori Pace. 
um, who helps me make sure that there's great content in there and great engagement for moms versus possibly the dad side or questions for me. Um, and then what I've done is I've now done the same thing for myself. And I have a whole number of different Twitter handles that target and aim after things. Some of them are very close, but in the marketing field, there's a number of them. So there's dynamic advocate, there's return on employee, there's people curator, there's tomorrow vision, there's social QC. So these are all things. And if you look them up, you'll see that they all have different bios, a little bit different direction. Although I do share a lot of my content across all of them. And then recently I've opened up some, some uh, verticals that are more uh, commerce related. Like one of them is called travel underscore no let up. You, you know my no let up brand. I talk about that a lot. I wear this no let up bracelet. It's a, basically a part of how I live my life. So I've used that to brand some verticals. There's beauty no let up, fashion no let up, seniors no let up, money no let up. And there I'm trying to build, uh, again, a syndication engine that's more directly related to commerce. Okay, now I hope everybody really took that in because there's, there's so much content. <laughs> yeah, it's fa you're always fast, but it, it's just there, there's so much content under your content. It makes so much sense, but you have to be you have to be a go-getter and no let up like you in order to make that really work well. And there also has to be a strategy behind it that's relevant. Absolutely. Which, which isn't the case for most people. Now, I know a lot of guys in the social media world that have two or three or maybe four handles, but most of them are not looking to, to syndicate content the way I am. They're looking to have different uh, handles that discuss different topics so that it's segmented for different people and they know where to go. Whereas my strategy is more about a syndication strategy. If you, if you watch a lot of what I do, almost all my content gets gets um, syndicated across my, my two different Facebook pages, my personal Facebook page, which I leave open to everybody and please follow me there. I don't have a lot of room for friends. I'm basically at the minimum, but I love if you follow me there because I, I, I push out and, and engage a lot more there than I do from my author handle. I have my LinkedIn, my, my Instagram, my Google Plus. So, uh, and then my, my blogs go out from my blog, but they also go out from, um, um, from HuffPo, they go out from the social CMO, they go out Medium, they go out LinkedIn. And my purpose for that is to, is to enable as many people as possible to see and engage with my content and with me as possible. And yes, some people will see a duplicate. If you follow me in all the places, of course you will see it, but I also stage it. So it doesn't go out in the same place all the time, except when I'm just sharing something I posted, but it's getting posted at different times. So, you know, remember, and this is something a lot of people forget in the social world, the basic tenets of marketing still are so important, reach and frequency. You want to reach as many people as you can, of course, relevant people and in context, and you want to, you, you, frequency means people get to see things because very few of us remember something the first time we see or look at it. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And not everybody has the, the same social channels. No, exactly. And not everybody, even when they do have all those channels, most people tend to focus on one or at most two. Where yeah. they spend their most time on Facebook or on Twitter or on Instagram or, or on LinkedIn at, yeah. or on any other number of ones. And if you're not, or on Snapchat, I mean, now obviously I don't syndicate the same kind of content on Snapchat because it's a different place, but I also take a lot of my Snapchat content and repurpose, repurpose it and it. use it as videos on other channels like Instagram, yeah. like Vine, like Facebook, and other places like that. But what you have to think about, what's most important is 
the people that you're looking to reach, where are they spending the most of their time? Because most of us don't have time to do all of these things. Yeah. And, and even if you're a big brand, you know, big brands still have budgets. They still have people and time constraints. And although I might, in a perfect world, I might say, hey, guys, you really got to be on all these platforms. What I will say is don't be there if you're not going to engage and interact with people or if you're not going to respond to them. Or here's another little tip. If you are going to do that, make it very clear in your bio or somewhere on your page that this is not a place you interact and engage and all you're doing is posting content. That way it lowers that expectation for that. Absolutely. And I think too, especially in the case of like smaller business, they have to understand what their target market is, as you so very clearly do. When you know your target market, where you know the playgrounds they are in, then that's where you're going to feed your most appropriate content. Absolutely. But also, you know, you have to be prepared to evolve your business, to yeah. evolve your marketing, to pivot your business, because sometimes who you think your target market is doesn't end up being your target market. I'll tell you right now that at Elf Cosmetics, when they first started and committed a lot of their dollars to manufacturing, they expected their market to be teenagers. Yeah. And the products were made in light pink, peachy colors with, with, with packaging that would appeal to teenagers. And it turned out that their heart of their market was 24 to 37 years old. And truth be told, if you had to narrow it down to the heart of the heart, it was 30 to 37 years old. And, and so therefore, you know, they had already committed to certain things, but what we did was we changed how we approached it socially, how we approached it in the places where it was easy to change it. And also we paid attention every day. We watched where were our sales coming from. And not only that, but now in the social world, who's talking about your products, who's sharing about your products. So you might have two different targets. You might have the person you see using and buying your product might be a younger woman or guy, but it might be the people who are a little bit older who are talking about it more. Maybe either they're directing them there or they're buying it for them or they're a parent. So you have to keep in mind both of those sides, especially in a social world, because it's very different than a traditional marketing world. Well, absolutely. And that's where that high engagement is absolutely key because that's how you get to see these things. That's how you get to know not just who's buying the product, but who's actually talking about the product. No, absolutely. And it's important to pay attention to those conversations. Now, I don't mean even be a part of those conversations. It's fine to, matter of fact, spend most of your time lurking. Yeah. And here's where I see a big mistake happening. You know, right now, um, listening software is getting big and it's a great thing to have. Matter of fact, it's a necessity. But listening software only allows you to target words, phrases, co basic conversations, but not the conversation itself. So whenever I speak, one of my slides that I put up is always a picture of a fly on a wall. And I like to ask the audience, you know, what do you think this is? And they go, well, it looks like a fly. I said, well, this is the proverbial fly on the wall. Right? We've all heard that expression. I wish I could be a fly in a wall in that meeting. Well, guess what? My next slide is a picture of a living room. And I kind of I have to shout at the audience and say that everyone, every consumer is inviting you to into their living room and you're not going. No brands are going. No, no re none of the social media people are going. None of the people that claim to be social media experts are going. Some of them are, let me not say none of them, yeah. but most of them are going to have conversations, not necessarily to just go, just go and watch conversations. You get so much more 
out of listening to the back and forth of what people are saying. So what I tell every brand and every person in the space, and especially every agency, and by the way, the agencies will never do it because they're not getting paid to do it. And they only do what they're getting paid to do. So, and, and to put that as a line item in their proposal, it, it, they're afraid it'll get kicked back at them, so it'll never happen there. But what brands need to do is take every employee, especially every employee in the marketing department, yeah. and make it their job every day or every week to visit X amount of people's pages on yeah. Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, and then come back with three insights or two insights every week from the conversations you heard. Take this, it, and you know, people will say, oh, that doesn't scale. It does, because you don't have to listen to everybody. And if you, if you empower your employees to do this, instead of just having that one person who's the data person or the listening person, and then for them to be empowered by that to really understand your consumer, uh, it's gonna be amazing what's gonna happen. You'll, you'll see the difference and you'll see it quickly. And, and this is a, a really um, move away from, from what originally big companies were so terrified to allow their employees to basically do anything on social, empowering them to be part of the marketing, I think is a really uh, good way to go. And how does this tie in for you into your return on relationship? Talk well, I, I, there's two things I want to say before we move on to that. And, okay. and, and one is just remember this. If you empower your employees, they will power your brand. But empowering employees is different for every company, especially different industries, what you can do, what you can't do. But when I say empower them to go read and look, everybody can do that. There's no legal ramifications. There's no trademark ramifications. There's no brand ramifications. All they're doing is watching. All they're doing is reading. There's absolutely no excuse to not be doing this. No excuse whatsoever. And don't tell me time is the excuse because everybody can find, carve out a little bit of that time if it's going to have a major effect on your business, and it will. Now, on to your question of how does empowering employees you know, lead into return on relationship? Well, you know, think about this. First of all, you know, a lot of people like to say nobody really cares about a relationship with a brand. And I, I will differ with that, but what I will tell you is everybody wants to have relationships yeah. with people at the brand. Yeah. Whether it's just feeling connected because I know Elaine, or whether it's the guy who knows a guy, like, oh, I know someone at, at, at Oreo. You know, even if you're in the store buying Oreos as a mom, you like to say, oh, I just had a conversation with someone at Oreo. Her name was Lori. Yeah, she told me that they're coming out with this new blah, blah, blah. I mean, everybody likes that feeling. It makes you feel special. And truth be told, everybody prefers to do business with someone they like versus someone they don't. And if you help build a brand personality by letting your employees be a part of that personality, now, it takes training, most certainly. Oh, yeah. it, it, it takes oversight, most certainly. But the end result will be dramatic for you as a brand. So to me, you know, when, when I talk about return on relationship, you know, I say it's simply put, it's the, it, it's the value that's accrued by a person, a brand due to nurturing relationship. This is very simple things. ROI is simple dollars and cents. Whereas ROR is about people. It's about recommendations. It's about sharing. It's about trust. It's about loyalty. These are the things they build. Now I want to clarify one really important point here because very often when people hear me speak or when they read it briefly, they think I'm saying ROR versus ROI. I am not saying that at all. What I'm saying is return on relationship will enhance ROI. ROI is always your main 
goal. Even in your personal life, return on investment is a return on time. I spend time with that person, it betters my life, it betters their life, it makes me feel good. There's all different values we equate with a return on investment. But again, my point is, if you value and look at the relationships, if you think of the people first, every time that will enhance your ROI. Because what happens is, you know, sometimes people ask me, what's the ROI of social media? And I like to look them back, especially if they're a business person, and say, what's the ROI of trust? And what's the ROI of loyalty? And trust and loyalty are two things every CEO and every C-suite understands. And then another important thing they understand, and, and this is more for consumer marketing than, than B2B marketing, but, but they, they understand lifetime value of a customer, they understand average order value, and they understand frequency of purchase. And every one of these will be affected in a, in a good way if you have a better relationship with these people, if the trust and loyalty is there. So to me, the, the natural step of return on relationship is empowering your employees. Because it, you're, as a brand, you are one entity. But as employees, whether you have five, 100, 10,000, 100,000, all those people in one way or another, whether you like it or not, are the face of your brand. I don't care if you're McDonald's or Burger King and you think, oh, this person just comes in and works at an hourly wage and they're flipping burgers. They are still the face of your brand because when they're in that place, they're the face of your brand. And when they walk out and go home, when someone says, what do you do? They say, I work at Burger King. I work in McDonald's. And that is the face of your brand. And if they are out there saying positive things, you know, supporting you, caring about you, and, and saying it openly and outwardly, they are going to increase the value of your brand every day because that share of voice is so critically important. Yeah. Uh, so, so well said. I mean, I, I would love to bottle you. You just, oh, man. Uh, you know what? I've been trying to figure out how to scale me. Yes. You know, and, and one of the problems is I can only be in so many places at so many times. But Elaine, yes. let's bottle me. Yes, let's. Awesome. <laughs> okay, listen. This is a major disruption in the industry. If anybody out there can reach out to me, if they can figure out how to bottle this, let me know. And I want to cut because I suggested it. So there you go. <laughs> uh, you're, you're welcome to it. <laughs> okay, thanks. Um, I, I want to give people a little more of Ted Rubin. We're going to take it down a little business notch and, and talk about Ted Rubin, the man. And where, you, where do you see yourself going? Where are you going to be in the next 10 years? I have no idea. Well, I, what I will tell you is I won't be in New York. That's for sure. Okay. Uh, and I know you weren't talking about place. You were talking about where I'm going to be in another way. But um, I'm certainly I'm done with New York. I'm done. It's too loud. It's, wow. it's oh my god. It's too loud. It's too noisy. It's too crowded. Uh, I'm done. I mean, I do love New York on a spring or fall evening at nine o'clock p.m. Once everybody's gone home, beautiful. Yeah. But uh, since I can't really bottle that. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely going to get out of here. A lot of you people know I spent a lot of time at my place in Pompano Beach. Uh, I'm looking to make that my primary home. But where am I going to be business-wise or personal? You know, what I will – I can tell you more of some of where I'd like to be. Well, And the most yes. important part of that is I'm really hoping to have a deeper and stronger relationship with my daughters. Uh, I don't know how much everybody here knows, but I have to fight to keep my daughters in my life. It was a four-year battle. My ex-wife was the first woman in the United States to be held in contempt of court and convicted of child alienation. Um, and, and it's still, it, it, even though that happened and that ruling came down in 2010, um, and thank God because it's helped so many people around the country yes, because yes. it's been used as a precedent all over. Uh, but I still live that life. Uh, my daughters are 19 and 21. My ex makes it very difficult for them to spend time with me. They're afraid to let her know or express anything. So my, what I do 
is I've just, look, part of not no let up is that I will yes. never let up on my daughters. I have a hashtag, this dad won't quit. And a Twitter handle, this dad won't quit. Um, I'm always present. I let my daughters know no matter how hard it is or what it is, I'm always here. If that phone rings, I will wake up in the middle of the night and I look forward to those opportunities when they have a crisis. And I say this, I use the air quotes because God forbid it's a real crisis. Normally it's the kind of crises we have as kids or I lost my wallet, I got stuck somewhere, uh, I'm going to fail this test, I'm freaked out. You know, things that they're afraid to talk to their mother about and I do everything I can to be there for that. And I also push on them that I go to see them. And when they say they're not available or they can't see me, I pick another date and another date and another date until I say this is the last one and I'm coming. I had dinner with my daughter. My younger daughter is a lot easier. She's at Penn for the Penn yeah. hat. I went to visit her, had dinner with her Thursday night. It was, I mean, Wednesday night. Um, it was great. Uh, I finally had dinner with her alone. I always let her bring her friends because yeah. I wanted to feel that way. And her, the last time I saw her was her birthday. And she brought for the first time ever, not just her roommate, but she brought like five or six friends and I got to meet them and spend wow. time with them. And it was amazing. Yeah. Um, this time it was just her and me. And she just sat and talked and talked and talked. And she, most of the time she brings her phone. She's busy looking down on it. Now, if you notice the picture I posted on Instagram and Facebook, yeah. that was not what she was doing mostly during dinner. She, her, her roommate was also not feeling well. So she was texting her saying she was going to bring her back tea. And I took that as my opportunity to get some quick photos without her noticing because I'm, <laughs> you know, I didn't want to, she doesn't like when I take photos and yeah. being that she wasn't feeling well this trip, I didn't make her take one with me because I didn't want to make her feel put upon. But, I stay present. I've changed my attitude and mindset. I've changed my expectations. I don't expect what I used to expect as a dad. I take the moments I get and I put myself in that moment and I hold on to it until I have my next opportunity. And uh, I'm, I, I, I never press this on them. They're not old enough yet. They're 19 and 21. They're still under a lot of pressure from home. Uh, they're, 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 they're just not prepared for this. You know, and a lot of people don't get that. They say, hey, they're 19 and 21. It's time to tell them the truth. It's not. It's time for me to just be there. So I don't have conversations like, you know, you, you, you need to stop this. You need to spend more time with me. I'm just there. And then I hold on to it. So I leave elated which I did the other night. And then of course I have a, mo I have a next day or two, I have a, that post see my daughter depression, knowing it might not be for another month or two. But what I'm really hoping is, you know, you said 10 years down the road and I don't really look 10 years down the road business wise, but in my personal life I, I have been, and I just hope that they will grow beyond that. They will find the, the strength to not fear having me in their life for what the repercussions might be from their mother and understand all how much I love them and how important it is to me. So that's my goal that way. From a business side, I like to say to people, stop worrying about what's next and execute on what's now. So that doesn't mean don't look forward. Of course you should, and there should be planning, but I find too many people are always worried about the next thing and looking well too far out and not executing today. So I'm not really sure I'm going to be. I let my, I let what I'm doing evolve. I certainly have certain goals, but where, you know, uh, uh, theoretically in 10 years, I'd like to be able to just do what I want to do when I want to do it. I'd like to be able to take some of the speaking gigs that, that don't pay. I'd like to be able to speak more um, to dads and to families about, about what the importance of putting their kids first. Um, when my ruling came down in 2010 and hit the front page of the New York Post yeah. for three days, unfortunately, um, because it was a landmark ruling, the New York Law Journal picked it up, um, yeah. and they promised to protect um, 
our privacy, but they were so backward that they just put Ted R and Lauren L from Huntington and the New York Post picked it up in a minute. And it was days of pages of stuff. And, and you know, for me, um, when that happened, every news network reached out to me. We were, uh, they, they did an interview that we did publicly because um, they tend to move, they tend to change words that you say. Yeah. But then, uh, um, Good Morning America reached out, Dr. Phil reached out, all these things. And I just said, listen, I'm not doing interviews. And here was the real problem. They all want to sensationalize it. They yeah. all want to build up the man versus woman thing. They yeah. wanted me to be a dad advocate. I got a call from Tori Johnson, who is a friend of mine. She does an ABC News segment. She's got a great show about empowering women. And she knows me really well. And she says, Ted, you know, this is how I got my show. Like I came on about helping women get jobs and it turned into a thing. They would love to have you and you're great on camera. You should do this. And I said, Tori, I would love to do it, but I'm not coming on as a dad advocate. If they'll take me on as a child advocate, yes, then I will come on because to me, all kids have to be allowed and empowered to love both parents without fear of retribution from either one. And that's not happening and they wanted to bring me on to make up this whole thing about how dads are being abused and it's true it, there are many more women that are alienating children than men uh, astronomically more and i don't really think it's it's a female male thing it's because most women are getting the custodial rights to their kids you're even advised when you get divorced you know get joint legal custody but one parent should have primary custody and that's called the custodial parent and they get way more rights and i tell every dad every dad that if you're going into this get full joint custody. I, I Look, if you want your kids to spend more time or have a primary home, I get that. And, and I, I tend to agree that in, in a lot of cases, not all, that might be better, but then allow it to happen, but you still have your rights. But yeah. once you give up the custodial rights, you can never get them back. And that's called day-to-day -day decision making power. And it gives a lot of power to the person that has that day-to-day -day decision making power. And, and so I was very clear to these shows, if you want me to come on to talk about kids, and loving your kids and keeping them out of the middle of this. And it's unfortunately all the attorneys push you to put them in the middle. E even the most reputable ones, you know, talk about how they might say, look, you might not want to do this, but if you really want to get some power, talk about the kids, kick them out of the house, do these other things or vice versa, by the way, this goes on both sides. And, and I just don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to be a part of the men versus women. And by the way, there's a lot of damn bad dads out there. And I can't tell you how many of them I met in all my days in court and, and, and in family court, the guys that don't want to pay child support, you know, all these other things. So I don't want to be that guy pitching for all the those dads. I want it to be about the children. And what I've done for me is I've made it about the kids. I have totally, once the court case was over and I got my legal rights back, um, I do not engage with my ex. I, she, if she sends me a bill that's too much, I just pay it. I mean, fortunately I couldn't do that back in the day, but now I can. And when I say too much, I'm not talking about thousands of dollars. I'm talking about, you know, a, a, a 10 or 20 or a couple of hundred or, or when, you know, I'm supposed to see my daughters and then they call me and say, oh, I can't come. Mom said she has to see me. I know what that's about, but you know what I do? I go, great. Let's make it another night. I've just taken that out of the equation. Yeah. Well, this is awesome because that's exactly where I wanted you to go because this piece of you, I think, colors everything else you do. And I think it, it makes you um, a much more engaged human because you understand what it takes to keep your kids in your life. And you understand what part, of, what role it is of yours, what responsibility it is of yours to make that happen. And I totally applaud you, Ted. 
Look, totally. Thank you. I want to take that a step further. You know, the, this has been a life changer for me, mm-hmm. not just because it's changed my life with re- relation to my kids, is it's taught me the same thing about everybody in our lives. Mm-hmm. It's your responsibility to decide who and how you keep people in your lives and then to take it upon yourself to make that happen. My daughters used to look at me. Now, my ex is what's called a borderline personality. Uh, the, the, the people tend to never live up to expectations, so they go through a lot of people in their life. And so my daughters would say to me all the time, like, oh, my God, Daddy, you have so many friends because every point of my life, every job, every school, every place I've been, I've always developed great friendships, and then I bring them along with me. Yeah. And I always called myself a networker, but what I've learned in recent years is what I am as a community builder. Because what I do is I bring all my friends together. I introduce them. They know each other. I bring them to events and, and, and just gatherings, and even if it's just online or anywhere else. And what I said to my daughters was, girls, you know, you, you, they said to me, you have so many friends. I go, I want you to understand something. It's not because I'm such a nice guy. It's not because I'm special in that way. It's because I work really hard at it. I reach out to people, people I haven't spoken to in a while. I don't say, oh my God, I haven't spoken to them. I'm afraid to call them. I reach out to them. I call them. I find friends. Just recently, I've been looking for a friend I haven't seen for a long time in Florida and I was snapping about it and a woman on Snapchat started researching it for me to help me find him. So I do these things and I always, I go through my book, I go through my old date books and I find people I haven't connected with a while. And I say to my daughters, if you want friends that last a lifetime, then you have to work at it. So this is not, again, and so what it's taught me is how you, like I had to rebuild a relationship with two teenagers or tweens and and who were somewhat turned against me, but I was always there. And what it's taught me a lot, like you said, it it affects everything I do. I take it into my marketing. I've learned what, what is marketing about? Marketing is about getting the attention and building a relationship with someone that basically does not want to have a relationship with you. You know, I mean, your teenage daughters, and by the way, this is good marriage, bad marriage, good family, bad family. Your teenagers, when you start talking to them, are going like this, la, 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 right? I mean, we, we did it. You know, and it takes many, many years before you mature to the point where you can let your parent or somebody just talk to you, even if you don't agree or you know you're not going to listen to their advice. And then you find as you grow older, all the things you do that your dad or your mom or your mentors or people around you impressed upon you that you thought you'd never do. I mean, I close lights when I leave a room. I don't lean on walls because my dad always told me, don't lean on the walls. Turn on the light when you leave the room. Yeah. And, And, you know, these things are very important. And I've learned you know, how to speak to an audience like that when they don't necessarily want to speak to me. I like to tell brands, tell your story, change your, make this your brand DNA. Tell your story in a way people will care. And you'll be, it's remarkable the difference you make. And I've learned, I always knew these things, but when you live them out of no choice. So I'm not going to take credit for being this incredibly evolved human being. These things happen to me. My life circumstances forced me to learn these things. Now, some people back away and never learn and never do that. Yeah, you took the lesson. And others open their mind. Now, I was fortunate because my daughters are my world. So anything I could do to figure out a way to maintain that relationship was something that I was gonna look into. And I'll recommend a great book. I I think I have it right here because I always keep it here. Um, If you have kids, if you don't, whatever it is, get this book. It's called Mindset by Carol Dweck. It's an amazing book about it's about attitude and perspective and how to take that and use it uh, to create a mindset that helps you do things. Now, this is not this is not a Tony Robbins book. This is not a, oh, my God, anybody can do anything book. It's just a book about how to you know, understand what your mindset is. Look, I know things that hold me back. Some of them I'll never change, either because I can't or I just don't want to. 
But it's that thing where, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk talks a lot about self-awareness. And I've had some back and forth with Gary. As a matter of fact, it's even in his book, the conversation we had, where I think too much self-awareness can be a problem. Yeah, because uh, I, I'm a big believer in Robert Browning saying that a man's reach should exceed his grasp, but that doesn't mean all the time. I mean, like people always say, oh, go beyond your comfort zone. Hey, I'm looking to get in my comfort zone. I don't <laughs> want to go beyond my comfort zone in my life. But what I'm saying is, is that too much, too much self-awareness is what parents do to kids. You know, Johnny isn't good at painting. Lori doesn't like to play soccer. Oh, don't talk to Danny. She doesn't like to talk to people. And when the kids and people hear that over and over, it creates a mindset in their head of what they can and can't do instead of them figuring out for themselves. You know, the perfect example is Michael Jordan getting getting cut from his high school basketball team. Yeah. Now, did his parents look at him and say, hey, you're not cut out for basketball? No. Now, obviously, that's that's an extreme example. He certainly had the body, the shape, the talent. He wasn't five foot one trying to be, you know, Gary likes to say, hey, if you're five foot one, you're never going to be a pro basketball player. I had to learn I was never going to be a pro basketball player. Yes, there are very important parts of self-awareness, and I'm totally on board with Gary on that. But my fear is that when we start talking about it too much, we take it too far, and we position ourselves to what we're good at and what we're not. Before we're at a stage or an age where we're capable of really understanding that it's not that we're not capable very often, it's that we're making a decision. So I say, I'm not good at technology. So I tend to have other people help me with that. Now I know very well, I, I mean, I have a very significant IQ. I can learn just about anything. And if I want to take the time and the effort to figure out and get better at using technology or managing apps or things like that, I could. But I've made a decision that I rather build relationships. I rather take the time for something else. And because I, it, I, it's not as intuitive to me, I help. I get other people to help me with it. But what I like to say to my daughter is, don't tell me you can't learn how to code. You can if you want to. And that's, that's the decision. That doesn't mean it should be your life's work. No. I'm just, you know, and again, that doesn't mean, like, look, Gary plays, you see Gary playing basketball all the time on some of his videos. He hasn't given up basketball. He just knows he's not going to be a pro player. But what I'm afraid is that people hear that and then they give up on it totally. Or Eric Wall is a, is a performance artist. I don't know if you've ever seen him. He's tremendous. And all through high school, he, he did not become an artist until his late 30s because all through high school he was told he had no talent. And every art teacher and every parent and every, everybody, the principal, the guidance counselor told him, what do you mean you love art? Forget art. You're never going to make a living out of it. Now he makes millions of dollars every year doing amazing performances on stage, but he missed all these years of being able to do it because he was told he couldn't. You, so I, that's I, the point I'm getting. It's a fine line we have to walk. We have to allow people to have the choice. You decide. It's not that you can't do it. It's that it's not your choice. Right. And then, you know, maybe you find something else around that. If you're not, if you can't be a pro ball player, maybe you can be a coach. Maybe you can be a manager. Maybe you can be a broadcaster. Maybe there's something else around that passion you can do. And again, I'm not the guy that says you have to follow your passions. I, I understand that sometimes you just have to make a living. Sometimes you just have to pay the bills. I don't think there's many people that are passionate about driving Ubers, but there's a lot of people that are, uh, there might be some, because a lot of people do like to meet different people at different times and have the freedom they have. But most people are doing it because it's a means to an end. Yeah, yeah. They're passionate about feeding their families. There, there you go. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I, I, at the risk of taking more of your time, I could honestly talk to you all day long. I well, just... we don't want to, we don't want to bore these people too much. You know, I, I think we've kind of covered a lot of territory. Yeah. Um, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I've loved, I, you know, Elaine and I did not have any conversation about what this was going to be about in advance. And, you know, a lot of people prep me and, and I, 
I totally get that too when there's certain things they want to cover or they want to make sure there are topics. But I love these conversations that can tend to go off on tangents or I can think about new things and talk about new things. So, I, you know, I've really enjoyed this. I want to leave your audience with, with a few things. Please. Okay. First of all, I want to say that, you know, I was talking earlier about network and community. And what I like to say is that a network gives you reach, but a community gives you power. So, you know, having that reach is really great and important, but the best thing you can do is take that reach and formulate communities because a community is powerful. I like to say networks connect, but communities care. And this is really important. And then the other thing is that relationships are like muscle tissue. The more you engage them, the stronger and more valuable they become. And that's what makes them so important. And, you know, that leads into remembering that this is a remarkable time. We are living in the age of influence where anybody can build a brand, affect change, make a difference 24-7 without ever leaving their bedroom. You don't need a budget to travel. You don't need to pay for drinks. You can be building relationships 24-7. It's what keeps me awake at night. So everybody, take advantage of that. And by the way, that doesn't mean you have to build millions or thousands or even hundreds of relationships. Take that time to build the ones that, that are important to you. Uh could not have said any of that better. I thank you so much. One, for your perseverance. Two, for all your wisdom. I am thrilled for you that you are getting this time with your daughters. And I love seeing your Instagram oh. photos. Cross your fingers. I'm supposed to have dinner with my older daughter Saturday night. She canceled a few times. She tried to cancel this time. I was persistent. And I got an email from her last night, which is first. I mean, this is really unusual. Um, she two nights in advance. She confirmed, told me she was bringing a friend and where we're going to have dinner. So that was a really big step with my older daughter. And my younger daughter hugged me when I got there, oh. hugged me when I left without me having to ask or push, or push for it. And that was also the first time since they were younger. So um, it's been a good week. Um, and just yeah. cross your fingers that Saturday comes off and... Really enjoyed speaking to you, Elaine, to everybody here. Anybody that wants to reach out to me, it's tedrubin at gmail.com. Feel free to reach out anytime. My phone number is 516-270-5511. It's easy to give it out because nobody calls. You guys are all afraid of the phone. And make it a great weekend. Uh, thank you so much. I'm Elaine Lindsay of Trill Social Media, your host for Business Banter Plus TV. All of Ted's information and links will, of course, be on his page on the Business Banter Plus website. Thanks very much. Make it an amazing weekend. Thank you so much, Ted.